Master Bowman podcast. If you're obsessed with the strategies, gear, and stories that will make you a better backcountry bow hunter, you're in the right place. We're independent, unsponsored, and unbiased, so we can cut the fluff and give you detailed advice on what really works and what doesn't. Today's episode is all about broadhead tuning. Well, what am I going to say about that? <laughs> we should just start rolling. Just, just let the intro just roll right into the episode. <laughs> Good, actually. You want to just keep going? No, no. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be really funny. It's like, yeah, we don't care at this point anymore. Oh, season's here. All right, let's just do it. <laughs> We're so close. Yeah, we're so close. Now, it's today's episode for everybody that is listening is all about uh, broadhead tuning. We're we're talking about everything you need to do to get your bow dialed in right before you go. I think this is the most important episode on tuning. We haven't really done one in the past, so Josh was like, "Oh man, we really need to talk about this because at the end of the day, your bow could be in a perfect tune, and if it's not hitting where the broadheads are, that's really the biggest problem you got." So. And it's something I need to do <laughs> still. Yep. We're both, uh, you're just a procrastinator in general. And I got kind of screwed on my uh, shafts getting here last weekend. So we're in the same boat for once, Josh. We are. We are. I was like, yeah. yesterday I was messing, I was giving Baxter crap because he was building his arrows. And I was like, Baxter, procrastinate? What? And he's like, no, no, it's there. They didn't ship. And I was like, uh, well, Baxter's human. <laughs> well, no, I do. I, I can't procrastinate, but I, I have a good story to go with that. And I think this is the story. For all you guys that are uber procrastinators and it's still two weeks out and three weeks out from your trip and you still are like, I'll get to it. Um, I, I missed a bull because of not doing this the year, I, the one year I didn't get an elk. Um, literally because of this, I had a, was a full draw at 70 yards, which as we've talked about is well within what I believe is my effective range. Uh, and there was a little wind, you know, I didn't really like the shot. So that definitely had something to do with it. But really the biggest problem is my broadheads were not hitting clean past about 60 yards. Mm. They were probably about a foot, foot and a half, uh, at that point, which is something you can't really dial in on a little target, uh, up at Elk camp. Um, so if I had been able to tune my bow and knew what I was doing and got the broadhead tuned down, I probably would have taken that shot and probably would have killed that elk. Uh, but I just, you know between everything I was dealing with, I was like, Nope, I'm not taking that shot. So I had to let down and watch him walk away. Yeah. Uh, so wow. anyway, that's a really real conversation. I've had that conversation with one or two other folks that are tuning their bows this week where they're, they're like, I'm, I'm here, I'm here. I need to fix this. And it's like, it's too late to really go back to the drawing board. So your effective range is now X. Um, right. so yeah, it's really important. It's this, this is a, probably the most critical thing you do with equipment in the last few weeks. Cause no matter what you do with broadhead tuning, even if you got your bow tuned, you got your arrows ready a month or two ago, you still need to the week or two, sometimes even up at camp. And we'll talk about the differences. You have to tune your boat with the broadheads on it. It's like the last step before you walk out the, uh, not the door. What is that? Like the the gate of your truck? I don't know. Yeah. Last, uh, last step before you uh, walk out walk the tent. Into the woods. Yeah. yeah, the yeah. Tent. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> Unzip you, the tent. Yeah. Can you tell we're having fun yet, guys? It's been a, it's been a good month. Um, it's been fun. Yeah. So yeah, let's talk, let's talk broadhead tuning. Um, cool. Yeah. The first question, um, and actually I'm going to, we talked about this before the recording, but I'm going to preface it. I'm going to just this is going to be like a pop quiz. Basically, I'm going to try to test my knowledge <laughs> here and Baxter will help me course correct on how to broadhead tune. But I do want to share last year before I went into elk camp, I quote unquote tuned my broadheads, but really I just tuned 
I just shifted around my site to where the broadhead was hitting. And yep. Baxter, if you can highlight, what's the problem with that? <laughs> so like yeah, shooting, so it looks like it's going where it's going, yep. but there's some issue there. There is some issue there. And I think the, the important thing for guys to know is that you always get this question of what the heck, man, we just went through your tuning episode and I've tuned my bow. Why do I need to broadhead tune? There's two, there's two things that aren't always the same. Majority of time they are. If you tune your bow perfectly and that arrow is coming out dead straight up and down, left and right, just coming out dead, stinking straight out of the bow, 90, 95% of the time in my experience, no matter what the broadhead is, it's going to fly clean, right? So a really good tune usually means broadhead tuning is really stinking easy, right? Um, but the opposite isn't true. You might have a bow that's really out of tune, but you can still get the broadheads to fly. Or like Josh said, you can literally just hack it and make your sight pins match where it's at um, if you don't have really, really bad left or right. And even if you have a bad left or right, you can do the really hack thing and just memorize that, oh, at 50 yards, it's six inches, at 60 yards, it's eight inches. And you know what I mean? <laughs> just compensate. Um, and I've seen that. The reason that's bad and the reason you don't really want that is that your arrow is not flying straight. Yeah. And the reason I like straight arrow flight is not because I'm type A or anal, but yes, maybe I'm both of those things. Uh, it's because if you look down your arrow, like straight stinking at it, it's cross section is like, you know, fourth of an inch, maybe three eighths of an inch. If you take the back of that arrow and you move it to the side and you still keep looking down it, that cross section is now like an inch or three fourths of an inch. And all that side of the arrow that's not perfectly lined up with the shaft is now a massive, massive amount of drag that is going to hit the animal kind of sideways and then have to go through. So it's going to kill your penetration. It's going to kill, um, the ability for the arrow to do its work. And if it also, if it hits the animal crooked enough, it's going to take off at a weird angle and maybe penetrate down or to the side. This also as a little asterisk is why I hate really heavy FOC arrows because the wind will blow. The point is capable of just pulling the arrow along. The wind can blow the back like almost 45 degrees and you can still see that point going straight towards the target. So there actually is a huge downside to too much FOC, but that's a whole nother episode. Um, but you've got to, you really, really want your arrow to be flying dead, stinking straight for penetration. Um, you can actually, this isn't me just making stuff up. You can do this. You can take a detuned bow. I've done this with the rest. Just move it like a, you know, eighth or a fourth of an inch to the left or the right. That's going to give you a massive right or left tear. Um, shoot it into a target without it, shoot it into a target with it tuned. And you're going to see one go in like two inches and one go in like eight. Um, so there, but that's, things are always exaggerated in targets. Um, but that's, that's your example. So is that a long enough rant for you, Josh? You feeling good? Makes perfect sense. So yeah, I totally thought last year I was like, okay, broadheads hitting where it needs to be hitting. Um, quote unquote tuned, but no, that arrow is flying out sideways. <laughs> uh, good thing. I didn't take a shot at any animals last year. Yeah, but... <laughs> it probably it can work. Right. And guys have been doing it for years. 80% like that's the reason that's the tough thing about archery is a lot of guys just hack it and then, you know. But like, I, hopefully most of the people that are listening here, that's one of the coolest things about this show is all the people interact with, they care, right? Like you're here, you're listening to this, you're spending an hour of your time to make sure that doesn't happen. And like that, that is easily, easily the difference between killing an animal and not sometimes. So, um, yeah, I think, I think it's worth doing and folks listening are generally on board. I'd imagine. Yeah, totally. So I'm going to guess the first step to broadhead tuning is to yeah. just tune your bow normally. 
Well, it's to pick up your bow to shoot it. No, no, <laughs> yeah, no, it's, yeah. I mean, if you've got that tune, you can go listen to that episode about tuning bows. We're going to do a crash course today. Uh, that's related, but yeah, generally, like I said, if you've got the bow in tune already with a bare shaft and field points, it's probably going to fly pretty well with broadheads. Yeah. And so should we, re- re- uh, quickly like review how to bear shaft tune or should we just start with the prerequisite that they've read the blog post they followed those seven steps and they're good i think we should start with the prerequisite because that's man that's a long yeah <laughs> one you know that takes some time but generally speaking tuning is pretty easy just look at the look at the arrow and think about what needs to happen about where it contacts the bow um so just go listen to those episodes if guys have problems they can shoot me an email and hopefully, maybe, possibly, I'll answer it before elk season. <laughs> we'll see at this point. No promises. And, yeah. and if you haven't done that, I'm just going to link it in the description in the show notes so you can follow it step by step. I literally pulled this out on my iPhone and did it like in a yard last year. So, yeah, not not too bad. Not too um, bad. Just need yeah. the bow press, unfortunately, and the drawboard. So, oh, if you, oh yeah, I guess if you want to do the uh, a couple yeah. more complex things, but regardless. You can check out the the blog post. You'll figure it out. Yep. Um, and maybe maybe one thing I will do is for folks that are true procrastinators. You like me when I was four or five seasons ago and still learning this. You don't have a bow press. You don't have a whatever. Really, you can still make changes in tuning, um, and that's almost exclusively with the arrow rest. So if you're, we'll talk about this on this episode. Just Google like gold tip. Um, uh, what is that tuning chart? And they have a chart of what you should do for each different tear or broadhead direction, which you can listen to in that episode, which I bear shaft direction. Um, and you can make pretty big changes to the tune of your bow using just the rest. So let's keep going, Josh. But that's that's my last thing there. Cool. I will include both links in the description. And uh, you can also take it to a shop if they want to help line some stuff up for you first. But always good luck with that. The 400 guys in front of you say, asking for the same thing this time of year. <laughs> that's um, true. Yeah. Um, yeah. If you have a, if you can camp out, get in there the night before, be the first customer in, you can get it taken care of. But uh, besides that, so, okay, you have your bow tuned, uh, bear shaft tuned, arrows should be coming out straight. Okay, it's the next step to put your broadheads on your arrows and then mm-hmm. shoot broadhead, shoot field tip, shoot broadhead, shoot field tip, and just see where the group is. Totally. That's the exact thing. Although I would always say, make sure you shoot your broadhead first. Oh. <laughs> uh, I don't know why I've seen this happen so much. I did it too, but like guys will shoot their field point and they'll shoot the, the arrow with the broadhead on it and just completely ruin that arrow. So I always, yeah. So the process for this is get a broadhead compatible target. Don't be the jerk that goes to a public range and shoots a broadhead and target. It's an incredible amount of work and effort from the volunteers and the folks that are donating to fund that. Don't be that guy. Um, go get your little broadhead target, your phone target, set it at 20 yards to start with. Um, and then, yeah, you shoot, shoot a field point or sorry, shoot a broadhead, shoot a field point, go pull them, shoot a uh, field point. No, shoot a broadhead, shoot a field point. <laughs> Always do that wrong. So you keep doing that until you're really confident, uh, that your groups of each are consistent, right? We talked about this, this is the hardest part of boat tuning is it's all about your skill as an archer too. But uh, basically, you're looking for two different groups. You're like, hey, there's a group where the field points are, and there's a group where the broadheads are. Um, and hopefully, hopefully, what happens is that you've got both of them hitting roughly the exact same spot. At 20 yards, it should be the exact same stinking spot. Uh, and so 
Uh, one thing I will say before we dive into what you do, if that isn't the case, is that at 20 yards, they should hit the same. At 40 yards, it's probably about the same, but you can never get your broadhead and your field point to fly exactly the same over a like long distance, 60, 80 yards, mm-hmm. because you've added something that adds a ton of drag to the front of the arrow. So no matter how perfect it is, you might get it. It might plane a little bit. It might drag a bit and drop down. Um, so don't freak out if it's a little bit, tiny bit off, especially if it's on, on at like 20, 30, a little bit off at 40, a little more off at 50. And then that's just how it goes. And you have to redo your site when you're up at elk camp. We'll talk about that as the last step. So is that making sense? Yeah. It's just wind, gravity, who knows what, but black magic, just... nobody really knows, but no matter <laughs> yeah. what happens, it'll never be perfect. But yeah, you see, so start that at 20. Um, mm-hmm. And then there's two hypotheticals, right? Like if you're, um, sorry if I'm just mowing you over here, Josh, but if you're better conversation, um, but like two hypotheticals, right? One is it's dead on those two groups. Awesome. Move back to 40, right? Um, the other is it's not. Um, and I would still move out as far as you can and feel comfortable about hitting the target and your your quality of your groups. So then you really understand what's going on. Mm-hmm. Makes sense? Yeah. So then, yeah, you shoot those. And if your group is off, ooh, what adjustments do you make? This yeah, part, I so don't this know. is, I would always, always split, do one thing at a time and split it into up, down, and left, right. Um, mm-hmm. Because the problem with these things is if you make, you can chase your tail so easily. Uh, and so another piece of advice I have for guys that when you do this, again, unless you have a press and a, uh, um, you know, a draw board, really you don't need a press for this at your convenience, which I do. I take my press and bolt it onto my truck tailgate and just do that. Um, you're going to only use the rest. So take a photo of your rest, take a photo of the left, right, take a photo of the up, down before you start tuning. Because the worst thing that happens is you completely lose where you're at. You chase your own tail. You're you're totally lost. You just look at those photos and put it right back where it was. Mm-hmm. Right, you start over. Uh, so always do that before you broadhead tune. That's a good a good step. Um, so now you've got up and down or left and right. And so this is where guys tend to get really confused. Uh, and we'll see if we can do this verbally. Uh, because what happens is that where your broadhead impacts is opposite of what happens with the paper tear. So just let that soak in for a minute. If you have a, a paper tear to the right, that means your broadheads are going to impact to the left. Mm-hmm. So again, let that soak in just a minute. The way you look at everything in archery is from the perspective of the guy behind the bow. If you're looking at the back of your arrow and the fletchings, you know, you got the, you're holding the point steady and you take the fletchings and you move them out to the right. That's an that's a knock right tear, right? If you sent that through paper, you'd see the fletches on the right side of where the point is. But if you look at the keeps, you know, hold that arrow, keep looking at it, where is it pointing? Left of the fletchings, the back of it's to the right. That means the front of it's pointing to the left, right? Mm-hmm. So when you put a broadhead on there, a thing that's like basically a rudder, that means it's gonna fly to the left, right? Mm-hmm. So for left, right. You know, that's, uh, that's what you're typically going to see. Generally, if you've done any modicum of tooting, you're going to not have as much of the up-down problem. Um, but left, right, then you're moving your rest, right? Yeah. And so this is, um, this is when I always screw up because I'm a lefty. So I have to look at this tuning guide to remember what they do. And honestly, I can't remember if it's the same or if it's opposite with the, with the lefty bow. <laughs> what 
that doesn't really matter as much as like you just make small changes and watch what happens and just make the opposite change if you screwed it up. But if you're a right-handed shooter, right-handed bow, generally speaking, if you have a left tear, which means your, your broadheads are going to the right of your fuel points, that means you need to move your rest toward the riser, right? So to the, to the right. Mm-hmm. Um, is that to the right? <laughs> you just move it towards the riser, right? And if yeah. you have a right tear, you move it away from the riser if you have a right-handed bow. Right. That's how it goes. So reverse that if it's left-handed. So that's generally how you fix things. And I would say, you know, if you, most of these guys have QADs, you've got um, other dropaways, but they're all going to have this like 16th or 8th of an inch, little tiny white notches on them. Mm-hmm. The most you want to move at any one time is about at one of those. Um, and that's generally going to give you like an inch at about 20 yards in my experience. Depends on your bow, but that's just my general guidance. Gotcha. Yeah. And it's amazing how that works. Um, before I went to Hawaii this year, um, that's what I did moving the rest and I hadn't messed with it before. Mm-hmm. And, uh, it's amazing how tight that group gets just from a small adjustment, tiny little adjustment. And this is also getting back to the tune stuff for you, you know, tuning 303 students, advanced placement. Uh, this is why I also put the rest at dead center shot, which is the middle of its adjustment range and then tune the bow to that. Because at this point in time, you want to be able to move it left to right a good amount if you've got it got to, mm-hmm. right? And if you had used the rest in your initial tuning and moved it too far left to right, you're screwed because you can't move it the other direction, right? So tuning your bow initially with the, the rest dead center shot is a great decision because then it gives you the ability to broadhead tune down the road. Right, right. Yep. Um, so one thing I'll say about moving stuff left and right is that you've got to realize that it's also going to change where your field points hit, right? Because you've moved the rest. So that means both types of arrows, not only your broadheads, but your field points are going to move. So just remember that your sight might not be dead stinking on the next time you shoot. So if you're moving the rest, I'd always do it at like 20 yards or something. And so you get a really good close grouping of your broadheads and your field points and then recite the bow. Mm. Did that make sense? That's a lot really quick. Yeah. So. When you move the rest, it'll change it not only for the broadhead, but for the field point. Yep. It'll change where all your arrows are hitting. Hopefully yeah. it brings those two groups together as well, but it'll also change where everything's hitting. So your green 20 yard pin, it's going to be impacting to the left or the right of that now. Right. Right. So I've just seen way too many guys do this at like 40. Uh, I've seen myself do this at 40 or 50 too many times where you, you do that, you change it, you just forget, you put the pin on, you pull the trigger and, uh, there goes the arrow right past your target. Uh, and you shot first with the broadhead. So now you've got these beautiful, dull, bent blades. And you're like, great. Um, didn't want to do that. So just a word to the wise. Yeah. And so left, right, you move the rest. How about top, bottom? Yep. Top, bottom, you're just moving the, the rest up or down, right? Okay. Uh, again, this is one that when I'm tuning, I want to Generally in the tuning process, I want to move my knocking point with that rest kind of dead center mm-hmm. because then I have more up-down adjustment. You might run out of that, but that one's generally really, really easy. Um, and this is for left and right-hand bows. It's the same, which is if you get a knock low tear, meaning the fletches are below the point, you just uh, you lower the rest. Got it. Yeah. Makes so you, follow, yeah, you move is, it where you want it to go. 
and it's really so that the hard thing about this is you can dwell too much on like the this then that and this then that just look at the arrow right if you get the arrow yeah so look at where the, the impacts are so if you look and your broadheads are above your field points mm-hmm. mentally take the arrow put it on the side of your bow and point it up right does that make sense yeah because you're like now okay that's how it's flying it's flying with yep. the tip up a little too much so what do you have to do to drop that tip you just you either drop the rest or you raise the back of it the knocking point right that's right. all you got to do so tuning can be truly intuitive if you know what your arrow is doing in flight you just take what your arrow is doing and put it next to your bow and then you go oh right. that needs that needs to change this thing same thing with the left or right if you know that your broadhead uh, broadheads are going to the right of your field points that means the arrow is flying to the right come back hold it you know look down at your bow this time but like hold it point it off to the right and that means move your rest to the left or your string to the right, which trust me, it's a lot harder to move that string. So um, tuning bows should be intuitive like that. Don't listen to the things I'm saying and try to memorize that. Just literally look at the arrow and you know, place it where it should, you know, what it, you think it's doing in the air and you'll know what to do under your bow. That makes yeah. sense. Yep. And worst case, you just guess. And then all of a sudden the groups are going to get really small. <laughs> and, yeah. Uh, well, I mean, the worst case, you just guess and you're like, wow, that went from two inches to the left to four inches to the left. Yeah. Like, Whoopsies. But now, you know, other way. Oh, great. I went an eighth that way. So I'll go an eighth the other way and it'll be perfect. And mm-hmm. usually it is. So just start doing stuff. <laughs> yeah. It might just, it might sound intimidating now, but literally you just start making some adjustments. You'll see the feedback immediately. It doesn't even take very long to do this. Um, after you do get the groups to somewhat consistent, then do you start moving the sight pins? Is that the next step to, to get those right? Yeah. So now that I get them to impact together, the next step is just keep going out all the way to the end of your effective range. Mm -hmm. Uh, because you want to make sure that that flight, you you obviously, as you get further and further away, the smaller the changes to get it dialed in, but you want to make sure that flight's dialed all the way out to your, then your effective range, right? Yeah. Um, in this point, you guys might see some other things. Uh, if you've got bad form, like a lot of the form problems, um, you can see a consistent, you know, left or right thing that you just cannot fix. Same with a shaft of an arrow that's far too stiff or far too relatively weak or far too stiff. Uh, as we talked about, it's better to go a little stiff. Um, those two things you might, you just might not be able to tune out, or it might require that you've got to go use the, you know, use the string side of the bow to do this. So anyway, um, that's kind of the things to think about when you're at that point. Yeah. And we should have mentioned another prerequisite to all of this is you got to be shooting pretty well. Yeah. And then, and you got to be honest with yourself when you're getting out to your effective range to be, to know that, okay, now here's where my form is falling apart. This is why yep. this is opening up. You can't just keep trying to tune and tune and tune. Yep. And if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. This this is the litmus test of bow hunting. Don't let anyone write some article about putting eight field points on a paper plate at 60 yards, whatever the hell. This is the litmus test of bow hunting. If you can shoot an arrow with a broadhead on it, and every time in a situation where it's controlled, you're not heart's not beating, everything's not going, whatever, every time you can put it in the area that you feel comfortable killing an elk that's your effective range mm-hmm. right it's uh and so the thing about that is half of it could be you half of it could be your tune right and this is why i'm also so maniacal about my gear is that like we talked about i want to control everything i can control but i think uh, a ton of guys 
still, they think, Hey, I shoot field points all year long. I'm really good out to 60. They go screw broadheads on and they walk out there. But in reality, they haven't ever broadhead tuned. And that this is how accidents happen. It's like, yeah, maybe you're good out there to eight inches, but now you've got a broadhead tune. that's a foot off at that distance. And right. Yeah. So this is, I think that's a really good point, Josh, which is there's a certain amount of problems that if you can't fix it in time, you just have to accept and just realize the reality of where you're at. Like, Hey, my effective range is 50 yards, right? Full mm-hmm. stop, 30 yards, full stop. Um, you got one hell of a bad tune if it's 30, but you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> or you're just really bad at shooting. Yeah. Um. Which, you know, Hey, like I'm not, not criticizing, like everyone has to start there and like, it's better. You're in the woods. Uh, I would take a guy who's bad at, at shooting. And is like, I know my effective range is 30 and is still out there learning every day over a guy who's out there winging arrows at 50, 60 yeah. yards uh, and hurting elk. Like look yourself in the mirror. Are you, you know, are you, are you trying to, why are you hunting? <laughs> like if you're willing to hurt something, an animal for some, some other reason, you've got some interesting priorities in my opinion, mm-hmm. right? It's free, free country, but just, I would, I would take a pause on that one. So yeah, anyway, yeah. that's my, like, that's my little, intense rant of the day but i'm pretty serious about <laughs> stuff because this is the life of an animal you're talking about this is not a not a minor thing you know yeah yeah it's not something to take lightly and uh even joe rogan uh, i think in a video he mentioned i think he was one year into bow hunting or something and he was practicing a lot shooting a bunch and i think it was a meteor episode and steve ronella is like okay so what's your effective range and he's like 40 and steve's like wow that's pretty conservative huh considering you've been shooting a lot and he's like yeah i just don't want to take any chances and yeah. a lot of respect for that. Um, Tons for, of respect. Yeah, for that. that's like setting a great example for how people should should take this. Yep. And yeah. I think the other thing about the last thing I'll say about uh, ranges and setting your expectations before you go out, and then we'll we'll get back to broadhead tuning and the other steps you need to do before you walk out the, the tent door, um, is that it's very situational and it's really hard. Someone might say, well, "What's your max range?" and you know, I might, you and I have said 80, right? Um, this year, I don't, I don't think it's quite there. Uh, we'll see, but it's so much more dependent on the situation. If you have an animal that is not alert to where you're at, you have a dead flat shot, not crazy uphill or downhill, like no matter how well you do up or downhill, how well you have your third axis tuned, it's always going to be a little worse than a flat shot. Mm-hmm. Um, wind, right. Uh, noise, right. Lighting, there's a million different variables that go into a shot. So if I had a shot at 80 yards where I'm, I'm in front of a beautiful backdrop, which is the number one thing that helps with camouflage. It can't see me. Uh, it's a dead flat field. There's a very, very light wind going from me. So that's, it makes noise. The animal can't hear me, the lights behind me. So it's not going to be able to see me quickly when the shot goes off you know, it's perfectly broadside head down, eating grass, you know, head below some grass. That's going to dull noise as well. Hell yeah. I'm taking that shot. Mm-hmm. Right. Versus at 40 yards, if there's a crazy 10 or 15 mile per hour crosswind, I'm front lit. The animal's already spooked looking at me and it's kind of like moving a little bit. Like I'm not taking that shot. So mm-hmm. see what I'm saying? There's really, there's big differences in that, um, as well. So I just, that's the last thing I'll say about effective range for guys is like, just be really cognizant of the situation. Yeah, totally. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I've, and I also just want to say, I've seen you hit a palm size group at a hundred. <laughs> so yeah, yeah for sure. And my effective range is probably going to be 50 this year. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that's not a palm size with one arrow. That's palm size with the 
a group of six, right? Right. Yeah. <laughs> so that's yeah. Hopefully that gives guys a good benchmark of like I'm comfortable doing that normally, and I still won't shoot out past like 60, 70 if uh, unless it's like really, really good. And even then, I'm going to limit it to probably seventy or eighty. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's it. Right. That's super long range. That's like stuff I don't like to talk about generally. Yeah, 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 yeah. totally. Because people then assume they're like, you know, whatever. But you know, you could be an Olympic Olympic shooter, and <laughs> who knows? I don't right? know about that. No, no, yes. not you. I'm, I'm saying uh, oh, in yeah. general. In okay, general, I was going to say. Let's not get crazy here, Josh. No, no, yeah. not not you personally. Uh, yeah. Someone could say say, hey, I my effective range is 100, and people are like, what? This guy's insane. But who knows? That guy saying that could shoot freaking insanely insanely tight at 100 who knows yeah so yeah but he better be doing it with broadheads yeah (laughs) broadhead flight might be clean to 60 but it can get hairy at 80 right Uh, right. it really falls apart it's like long-range shooting it's anything below four or five hundred it's not that crazy but man once you get to 800 to thousand like (laughs) you know if you're five yards off you miss the animal by like 10 feet like it's a big deal right Um, so yeah so okay so back to broadhead shooting we're kind of you know, as all good episodes are, we're good, we're delving into other things, right? <laughs> yeah, all, all important stuff. But yeah, so yeah. you got the groups tight, and then then you get the sights, the sight pins on. Yeah, so groups are tight. You know, broadheads are flying where field points are generally. Again, at sixty, they might be one or two inches low, or a few inches low, whatever the heck. You know, mm-hmm. then then, or how good your tune, everything, you're gonna have to recite at altitude. Oh, that's um, right. So I've heard a lot of guys say this on podcasts. No, I don't notice any difference, but it makes me laugh every single time. It just shows your bias, right? But all these guys live in Denver or they live in like Boise. <laughs> it's like, yeah, going from 5,000 or 3,000 feet up to 8,000, it's not that big of a deal. But going from sea level, high humidity up to eight or 10,000 feet. Yeah, there's a huge difference in where your stuff's going to impact, especially at 60 yards, right? Longer uh, even if you know your rod heads are good, everything's working great. What you need to do when you get to elk camp, absolutely have to do, is go get your practice broadhead head or two uh, and shoot it. Um, shoot it at twenty. Change your pin. You know, if you're five pins set up, 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, You know, change all your pins to impact where your broadhead is, because right. it will be different in altitude. And yeah. like we talked about, even if you've got it tuned perfectly, it'll be slightly different than your field point at like 60 yards. Um, yeah. So you've got to do that. There's yeah. two good points you mentioned there. Um, the first is it'll sh- hit different at altitude. And it, basic reasoning is because, is it because the air is thinner? I don't even know what that means. The air is thinner, but less yep. oxygen up there. Yeah. Well, there's less air pressure. So there's less density of air. So less molecules hitting the surface or drag area of the blades on your broadhead, right? And extremely the rest of your arrow. Um, so that's one. Two is that for most guys, humidity, moisture in the air is a huge amount of drag on projectiles mm-hmm. um, for a lot of reasons. But that's let's just leave it there. So that's that's a big one. So a lot of guys in the East Coast, um, you're coming from a really high humidity environment. You're going to an insanely dry, high altitude environment with low air density. Um, generally those can net out a bit, but all I'm saying is you don't know which direction that's going to net out. Uh, you need to, need to test it. Yeah. And then, uh, oh yeah. One illustration I was going to make is at an extreme, it'd be like going from underwater to like in air, like way more dense stuff there. Zero to hundred percent humidity, right? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Not hundred percent. You get the illustration. 
Yeah. And then the second thing you mentioned, I want to point out is the, the uh, you mentioned practice broadheads. And it's a good point because I don't know if everyone knows. I mean, I didn't know that if I shot a broadhead into a foam thing that I shouldn't reuse that on an animal. Yeah. Well, it depends. Yeah. It, it depends on your broadhead. And we just, oh man, this stuff is always all ties together. And that's why I kind of love archery, but this is part of why I like replaceable blade broadheads because I will, um, I'll take out the practice. I'll have a set of practice blades. And I'll have a set of, um, you know, just killing blades. Right. And I don't ever, ever dull the killing blades if I can help it. Right. So I'll shoot the practice blades. Generally speaking, every time you put a broadhead on, no matter what setup you've used countless times, you do have to spin it just to check that it's aligned. Like I've had broadheads where you just tighten them in and somehow it like caught a little bit of metal and offset it. And you just have to like literally unscrewing it, rescrewing it in fixes the alignment problem. Um, mm. So whenever I'm doing this, I take those practice blades, I put them in the broadheads. Um, I'm lucky enough. I've bought a lot of broadheads and I have dedicated <laughs> practice ones, but I just literally screw them in, spin them. Okay. They're spinning good. Then I go out and uh, shoot them, use those practice broadheads because it's dulling the heck out of those things. If you have a three blade setup, that's not replaceable. If you have um, sometimes guys with iron wheels, cause they're all maniacal about the edge retention. They like to just sharpen them on the broadhead, whatever your system is, you're going to have to make sure those blades are sharp when you go in. And for me personally, I like to still with my number one broadhead, I like to shoot it once at 40 yards, uh, just, just to be sure that that one is good. Even if I've spun it, even if I'm whatever, and then I'll just strop up the edge of that thing, put it in the quiver and we're good to go. Yeah. Um, so, but that's, you don't, I don't think most guys need to do that last step. That's just like a last mental check in my brain where I'm like hundred percent confident that broadhead's going where I want it to go. Right. And that's a good feeling. That's really what this is. And that's probably the, the last thing I'll say about this process is like, it seems overly engineered and it's pretty intense and it's like, it's necessary, but I think the biggest benefit of it, uh, other than the obvious stuff we've talked about is mental. Like it's so so critical. Like when you pull that bow back, I've been there, like I said, with that one at 70 and you have any amount of doubt, that is the clear answer to whether you should take that shot, right? Like that's, that's the voice you should listen to. So you're like, I, if I, if you go, I wonder if I can make that shot. The answer is no. <laughs> Don't do and it. so half of this, half of this is like getting that incredible confidence where like, hopefully you've been shooting a ton. The seasons here, you've been prepped, you're ready. You know, reality is you're not quite there, but if you do give yourself that last boost of confidence, you're like, man, everything's hitting where it should. I'm feeling good. I'm placing them good. Uh, every, you know, that's, that's critical. For example, every time I come out of the woods, you've seen this, I generally take one of my arrows, um, walk out to the target and I cold, cold shot an 80 yard, uh, ringer. So I just stand up 80 yards and fly one. And, uh, most of the time it's in the it's in the four to six inch kind of bullseye area. And that is, that is like the best feeling on the planet. Cause you're like at 80 yards, exactly where I'm hunting with the exact same setup. I'm dropping one right in. Mm -hmm. um, and so that confidence is really stinking important. Yeah. Yeah. That, that can make or break it. Um, but yeah, technically we covered everything broadhead tuning. Yeah. I think we got everything because like broadhead tuning and, uh, and like last minute bow setup all together. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like, and the last thing I'll say about the bow setup, um, probably not, but you know, I'll, I'll say last thing is 
yeah, Silver Sharpie does wonders. You know, once you get everything set up and everything dialed in, you tighten it down, don't over tighten it and ruin your threads or your site. Just take a little Silver Sharpie and wear that little, those two pieces of metal that meet, that move your site left or right or up or down or X, Y. I do this on every, everywhere anything meets that I adjust on my bow. Just put a little tiny Silver uh, Sharpie stripe across that because what that does is it tells you if something goes wrong, whether that adjustment is moved. So you might, the other time, wow, this is the perfect episode. The other time I've missed an elk, well, I hit the elk, but I just creased the brisket on it. it would have been my second elk for the year, my second year. Mm-hmm. Um, was because I, you know, I, I didn't range estimate, estimate, which is we've talked about the number one reason guys miss elk. That was part of it. But the other part of it is that my, I dropped my bow and when I tested it later, it was eight inches low. So I would have probably hit it in the heart if I had, if the bow hadn't been off. So I have a personal example of this one, right? But if you just put that little tiny silver Sharpie line across the two, you know, when I dropped that bow or what I, when you do something to it, you're like, oh man, like, is everything still on? You can look at all those little Sharpie lines and have the confidence to go, yep, it's good. Right. Or you might look down and see that one is way off. You're like, I need to go back to camp. I need to dial this back in. I can't be shooting this bow. Uh, so it's a really, really good thing. And then everyone's like, oh my gosh, silver Sharpie on my pretty $1,800 Hoyt bow. Um, well, there's this thing called rubbing alcohol and you just use that and it comes right off. So. <laughs> and it really doesn't matter anyway. It's uh, true. <laughs> yeah, that, that's more it, but you know, hey, yeah. rubbing alcohol. Yeah. So uh, you would mark it on the site, on the rest? Hmm, it's your site, rest, um, like all the parts of the site where the site meets the bow. Mm-hmm. Uh, the rest, the adjustments on the rest and where the the rest meets the bow. Right, right. Those yeah. are generally all the areas I'm worried about. Okay, yeah. cool. So, so what gets moved. So yeah, get that silver Sharpie, mark it across so you can see exactly if it moved a tiny bit and you should be all set. Yeah. Wow. I mean, I think that's it. If you walk into these, and this stuff too, it took us almost as long as it takes for you to do all these things. Like it takes about an hour. If your tune's already pretty good, yeah, uh, it takes about 15 minutes to verify that. And then when you're up at elk camp, it's going to take 15 minutes, 20 minutes to dial in those last little site adjustments. And then it's going to take maybe 10 minutes for you to do that Sharpie. So we're talking about 45 minutes of your life to ensure that all you're shooting during elk season is perfect. That's yeah. a really easy investment. Yeah. In the time that you listen to this episode, you could be done with this process. So maybe you can listen to it while you do it and bam, you're done. <laughs> yeah, I'm not capable of that. Hopefully other guys are. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's uh it's well worth it. Well worth the effort. Walk out the door with a good bow. Um yeah, that's really it. That's the last things to do before before elk season. Cool. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> so close. Yeah. So we're like as we're recording this, I think we're going to put this one out tomorrow too, pretty soon, but mm-hmm. we're what, like a week and a half out now, Josh. Yeah. yeah. Dang. We are so close. close. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. hope you guys are getting as excited as we are. It's, it's here. Yeah. And then we will maybe do one more episode, last minute questions before yep. season starts. And then we'll take a slowdown during the season, of course, because we'll be a little busy <laughs> hunting. Yeah, elk. right. We always so. do that. Um, yeah. And that last minute episodes, questions one is all the little things that you can actually adjust last minute. We get stuff like, how do I fit my backpack? How do I, um, 
time the packing out? How do I, you know, these little tiny questions that uh, uh, are just good to know before you drive out the door. So we'll do that, that one part to answer question guys have and two, just to make sure, you know, as you're driving out to all country, maybe you listen to it and you're like, ah, oh, yeah, yeah, that, that, that. Yeah, it's good. Yeah. Sweet. Okay. I think that's it for today, Josh. Anything else? I think that's it. I'm actually surprised that I uh, kind of knew-ish how to broadhead. <laughs> it's like you're capable of learning. That's amazing. <laughs> no, you've, it's been doing this stuff for like a year or two now. So you're starting to pick up on it. Yeah, it's yeah. Just, it's just time and exposure, right? It doesn't, this stuff doesn't come naturally to anyone. Like it's right. exposure complex. And so the only way to go out there is just go out and screw around and experiment. And then all of a sudden you're like, oh, I kind of get this. Yeah. Um, and I do want to say uh, live on air. I know I've said it many times before, but uh, hey, Baxter, thanks for spending time teaching me this stuff and being willing to record it and put it out for other people who need help. So really appreciate yeah. it. You seriously give like a lot of your time and energy to other people. And so just want to say thanks. And you're not yeah, getting, man. and you're wasting money on it. I mean, not wasting, but it's costing yeah, yeah. us money. You know. Yeah, do. that's so, probably a good, that's you. a good one to segue in. Thanks, Josh. It always, it means the world, man. That's, uh, that's why I do it. It's your fun. It's good. That it's it's pretty exciting to see other folks get as fired up um, as you were, are, you know what I mean? About something. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, for other guys that are listening, Josh and I are kind of at this interesting crossroads with the podcast at this point in time where we're, um, we're trying to figure out like, Hey, this is costing us money. It's not easy. We've got to make sure some way we make something to at least cover <laughs> the cost of hosting a website and a podcast and that sort of thing. So we're thinking about just to be totally candid. We're thinking about doing affiliate stuff. So the gear I'm recommending and reviewing, we get a small cut of that. Costs you nothing. We're thinking about um, doing a pa uh, Patreon, Patreon, What's Patreon, Patreon, mm -hmm. um, to support. Because also, I'm just answering too many questions now on email. So it's <laughs> a sad, sad day. But I kind of have to just go to a world where um, there's got to be some way to filter that down. Um, mm -hmm. So maybe guys support like a few bucks, nothing crazy. We can do that. I don't know. So we're we're thinking about that, and you know, drop us a comment or a thought on it if you if you have strong opinions. We really don't want to turn people away and make them think we're doing this to make a ton of money and whatever. Because man, that ship sailed a long time ago. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, so we, gotta, we have to go somewhere with it at some point. Because yeah, we're coming up on our second year almost of second year. Crazy. Yeah, crazy second season. So yeah, we'll figure it out. Um, we really like being unsponsored because that way it makes us yeah. unbiased. I and totally that should is, have said that. Yeah, and call. that's like one of the easiest ways to get paid is to get sponsored. But we we really like being unbiased, especially with Baxter knowing all the gear. He would love to be able to recommend stuff from all different companies and and be brand agnostic. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Patreon's great because it's people can give back to us as we're giving. Uh, it also helps us. Yeah, just support the show. Affiliates interesting because now you can say you recommend first light all their underwear and socks are awesome and then i go sitka i love the the sitka um uh, base layer because it has that hoodie in the thing so yeah. like you can still be honest and transparent with your recommendations for the best piece of gear regardless of brand but still yeah. cost the listeners nothing and give us a little kickback which is nice you know yeah so yeah we're well, thinking through all these things the philosophies behind them and we want to do what's what's best and we'll probably de dedicate like a whole 15 minute or 20 minute episode to this if we do make a change. Cause Josh, you hit it spot on, which is you're never unbiased. So many guys in the hunting world. Um, I, I'm, I'm not going to be the guy that throws stones in a glass house, but there's very, very big names in the hunting world that, um, 
don't ever mention sponsorships. And on their show, they just say, I really like the Hanvag Makra or I like this. And it's like, you look it up and oh, they've got a relationship with Hanvag. That's really weird. Which by the way, in a lot of other industries, hey, we're professionals, we work in tech. That's illegal, <laughs> by the way. Like there's some really big problems with a lot of the ways stuff is done in the hunting world. Um, it drives me nuts. And I, like Josh said, I really, really want to be able to... Uh, really want to be able to just say my mind on like what gear I like and what I don't like, that's, what's fun for me. in this is it's help mentoring and talking to you, but it's also like an avenue to test gear. Um, so yeah, so that's, you said it right. We're not taking sponsorships because we don't, we don't want to, there's a few thousand guys on this and multiple thousand guys on the website at this point. So it'd be really easy to just mail it in and get a few thousand bucks or a bunch of free gear. Um, but that's not what we want to do. So We'll we'll figure it out anyway. Cool little diatribe, but we'll uh, we'll record a whole episode on that if we make a change. Just so got listeners that we care about understand why we're doing it. Yeah, and uh, thank you so much for listening. We're getting to our second season of doing the podcast. It's been super fun. We love making new content for you guys, and we will continue doing so. Um, thank you so much for for listening. And if you want to leave us a review, that would really help us out as well. That's another way to help. Um, yeah, leave us a review, send it to a friend. Um, we appreciate you guys. Yep. Awesome. We'll be talking soon.